This is the fifth in a series of messages called Choices Matter, the Laws of Consequences. We've considered four laws. Uh, The first one we considered was we reap what we sow. Choices have consequences. You sow potatoes, you reap potatoes. You sow criticism, you reap criticism. The second law we looked at was we reap in a different season. There's usually a delay between choices and consequences. Uh, Farmers plant, but they don't reap a harvest until months later. Many people are fooled into thinking that there are no moral absolutes because they do something good and nothing good happens to them. They do something bad and nothing bad happens. What they forget is that we reap in a different season. The third law we pondered was that we reap more than we sow. Our choices result in multiplied consequences. A farmer sows one kernel of corn and he harvests like 1,500 kernels of corn. Uh, We choose evil and many bad things come our way. We do good and many blessings uh, come to us. The fourth law of consequences we contemplated was we receive the full benefit of doing good only if we do not give up. If a farmer plants uh, and then just leaves, leaves the land and doesn't do anything, weeds will come up and over it and destroy the harvest. So we have to keep doing good and not give up on following Christ. Now today I want to consider a fifth law of consequences. God gives us better than we deserve. I don't want you to leave this series uh, thinking that uh, we, we reap the, the good and bad that we do, and that's all there is to it. I want you also to understand that God gives us better than we deserve. Uh, parents, you have to communicate with your children that God does not deal with us on the basis of merit, but on the basis of grace. Uh, if you're not a Christian, this may be your understanding, that we get to heaven by doing as many good things as possible whether you're a grandparent or parent, married, single, or a teenager, you have to understand this principle that God gives us better than we deserve. Suppose you've worked at your place of employment for 10 years. You are a highly valuable employee. Your boss loves you. Then the company hires a new worker uh, to work in your department. This person has the same educational credentials as you do, but is 10 years younger and has zero experience. They ask you to manage and uh, train this new person, and one day as you're working together, it slips out that they're being paid the same as you. How would you feel about that? My guess is you would be unhappy. We've grown up on this basic value system that says the harder you work, The better you work, the longer you work, and the more responsibility you have, the more you get paid. In Matthew 20, Jesus shares a parable that seems to fly in the face of this fairness ethic. It's Matthew uh, 21 to 16. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. A denarius was a day's pay in those days. About nine in the morning, this is the first people who were hired at 6 a.m., about nine in the morning he went out 
and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He doesn't specify a wage, but he says, I'll be fair. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. It was common during harvest for a landowner to make several trips to town to hire workers to make sure he brings in the harvest before the rains come. About five in the afternoon, uh, the Greek text says the 11th hour. This is where we get our phrase, the 11th hour, the end of the day, or the end of a game. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Now, each parable of Jesus has an element of surprise on which the parable turns. The surprise in this parable is that people who worked all day received a denarius, while people that worked just one hour received the same one denarius. I mean, who would think to hire workers, let's say, for an eight-hour day and pay them $160, and then somebody that just works one hour, you give that person $160 too? It'd be unthinkable. But that's what occurs here. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair with you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? This is one of Jesus' parables that ends with a cryptic one-line explanation. Jesus concludes it with these haunting words. So the last will be first and the first will be last. What can we make of this parable? If I asked you how you feel about this parable, my guess is you would feel for the all-day worker. You identify emotionally and intellectually with the all-day worker. It's because we've all grown up on a basic value system that says you get out of life what you put into it. You reap what you sow. Bill Gates did not produce Microsoft one day while smoking pot and drinking Budweiser beer. He slugged it out day after day, hunched over his computer in his garage. Michael Phelps did not swim his way to a record number of Olympic gold medals, watching TV and eating chips and salsa all day long. He was up at 5 a.m. every day, headed for the pool. LeBron James did not become an NBA superstar by hanging out with gang members in the city where he grew up. He spent hours in the gym and in the weight room. Albert Einstein defined genius as 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. We've been taught that workers who work hard get promoted. 
Yet it seems that in one parable, Jesus is going to blow up our whole value system. Or does he? Peter asks, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Here's a statement of an all-day worker if I've ever heard one. Jesus answers, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. He says, no one gives up anything for me without receiving back many times more. And then he follows it up with this parable to support his point. Jesus surprises us in this parable, but the surprise is in our favor. This parable tells us that God gives us better than we deserve. I want to show you three ways that God gives us better than we deserve. First, he's gracious with the 11th hour workers. He finds people who were idle all day, and he hires them so they can support their families. Uh, He pays them generously. In fact, it's his generosity that gets him in trouble with the all-day workers. Uh, The method of the master in this parable appears to be commercially unworkable. Business people know you can't have two systems. You can't pay people on contract on one, we're going to give you this wage for a day, and other people, you're going to pay them on benevolence. We'll pay you whatever seems right. Workers all have to be on equal footing. And that's precisely what Jesus does in this parable. He doesn't throw out the ethic of hard work for fair pay. What he throws out is the whole system of contract. He says, instead, I'm going to deal with all of you on the basis of grace. It's fortunate for us that God does not deal with this on the basis of strict justice. We could not survive if we only reaped what we sow. God does not deal with us on the basis of our merit. He deals with us graciously by grace. Hasn't God been good to you? God is gracious, which means it's not too late for you to respond to His love. I love the phrase, the 11th hour, that Jesus puts In this parable. Maybe it's the 11th hour for you. Maybe you've spurned God for years. But you could give your life to Christ today. I'll give you an opportunity to do that in a few minutes. Some people ask, if Adolf Hitler, who killed 6 million Jews, and probably 4 million other people in World War II, or Joseph Stalin who was responsible for the death of 30 million Russians in the Russian gulags, or Mao Zedong, who as a result of his policy saw 60 million Chinese die in the Cultural Revolution, or Osama bin Laden, who killed 3,000 Americans on 9-11, and hundreds more have died through his terrorist networks, or Jeffrey Epstein, who led a sex ring that preyed on underage girls, if he committed his life to Christ on his deathbed, would he go to heaven? While somebody else who lived a lifetime of good but rejected Christ go to hell? It's a trick question. It's designed to make the gospel look ridiculous. But the answer is yes. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross for all sins. God the Father respects so much what Jesus the Son did on the cross that He can forgive everyone, including Hitler, Bin Laden, and Epstein. Does not matter what you've done or how far you've strayed, you can be forgiven because of God's mercy. Moses writes in Exodus 34, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This was in our journal this week. It says that God is gracious and He forgives us. He pardons us. But He says He does not let the guilty go unpunished. He says He doesn't overrule the laws of consequences. We do reap what we sow. If we reject God, we will reap the consequences of our choices. But if we give our lives to Christ and we repent, He'll be very gracious with us. A number of years ago, our family of eight at the time, went to the coast at Manzanita for a week. Um, I put, a, put up a picture there of our family. At, you'll notice in this picture, this is actually our family of 10 at the time. We have on the bottom row there, Cam and Jamie. Uh, you also notice Mark right behind Cam. Last week I said that uh, Mark was so bad when he was two that one day when I called Jory to see how he was doing, she said, I want to sell Mark. Well, we kept Mark because we couldn't get a good enough price for him. And uh, so here we are. We're at the coast for a week, and we brought six bikes with us. And uh, the second day there, it rained all day. And Jory said to me, we better get some use out of these bikes. So at 5 p.m., the rain stopped, and I says, let's go for it. So we got our kids all packed up. It's a pretty big deal because when you have three kids under the age of five getting jackets and shoes and you know it's, it, anyway we got them on and two of them were in bike uh, car seats and uh, our goal was the candy basket where they uh, sold ice cream and pastries and candy and uh, it closed at six we got there at 10 minutes to six and I thought to myself oh what do you bet it's locked and I tried the door and sure enough it was locked and we stood there defeated our tongues hanging out. And the owner saw us from across the street and he mercifully came over to open for us. I also think he had an eye for business. He counted us, did the math, figured it might be worth his time. So we tried to make it worth his time by loading up on ice cream and yogurt and muffins and candy. As we walked out with all our stuff, Jory whispered into my ear, isn't God gracious? to open up the candy basket for us. Isn't God gracious with you? Hasn't He been good to you? The second thing I want to share is God is gracious with the all-day workers. A casual look at the parable might leave you with the impression that the one-hour worker was more fortunate. But the parable shows us also that Jesus is gracious with the all-day worker. After all, he's the storyteller who includes the line, us who have borne the burden of the work 
and the heat of the day. He understands and empathizes with the all-day worker. It's true that the one-hour worker received a greater rate of pay, but Jesus makes it clear that the all-day worker received more. How? He had the assurance all day of having a job and being able to provide for his family. Any of you who have lost your job or seen your business crash uh, during and maybe had to apply for uh, unemployment, know what it means to have the assurance of having a job, a paycheck. Psychologists tell us that for a man to lose his job in mid-career is one of the most devastating things a man can experience. And I'm sure that's true for women too. The assurance of a job is to have more. The Master showed us that those who were idle had less. If the 11th hour worker gets a full day's wage, just like the all-day worker, maybe you're wondering, why should I be a Christian my whole life? Why not wait until I'm on my deathbed? I'll live it up. I'll live the life way I want to live. And at the last minute, I'll put my faith in Christ. And I'll receive the same eternal life as lifetime Christians. What benefit is there to being a Christian my whole life? Why should I spend my life serving Christ? Why should I spend my time teaching Sunday school, trying to live a good life? Your reward is that you get to be with the Lord of the harvest all through the day. You get to be with Jesus longer. Sometimes those who've been in church a long time unconsciously resent new people coming into the church. They say, where were you during the heat of the day when we did all the hard work? I mean, we scrimped and saved and sacrificed to build this new building, and now you all sin and get to enjoy it just like the rest of us. What's fair about that? But Jesus says, friend, I am more than fair with you. You have been with me all these years. You've had the privilege of serving in my church. That is reward enough. Jory and I are both all-day workers. We have been Christians since we were young children. And we can testify that God has been gracious with us. A number of years ago, Jory went to Kenya to prepare a mission trip where she was going to be leading 50 people. And uh, she was driving one day, and uh, the car that she was in hit a pothole. Kenya has some bad roads, and it hit the pothole, and the car went over the, off the road, over the cliff, and was headed towards a grove of huge trees. And Jory just had time to, to, to yell out, Jesus, save us! And she watched as the car moved and went a different direction. Anybody who knows the law of motion knows that nothing changes its direction unless another force changes it. She watched as God moved that car and it landed in a grove of small trees that kind of worked almost like a cushion. It was still a high-impact accident and she broke her back. She was life-flighted to... Nairobi Hospital, and she called me. She said, Ron, I've been in an accident. I'm okay, but I broke my back. 
I could have died. When we hung up the phone, I pulled my car off to the side of the road and I cried. I realized I could have lost Jory. She is a wonderful wife and an amazing mother to our nine kids. Erica was just four at the time. Jory has been the most unbelievable mother to our daughter who has cerebral palsy. I thought, we could have lost Jory. All our kids could have lost their mother. God, thank you. You are so gracious. The third thing I want you to see about God being gracious is that God wants us to be gracious like him. This observation is harder to hear. Jesus directs this parable to religious leaders in Israel. Like the all-day workers, they were indignant that Jesus spent so much time with uh, tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. This is what we call a double-edged parable. A double-edged parable has two stories. The first story in this one is about workers who work all day for denarius, and other workers get hired just for like one hour, and they get paid the same wage. The second part of the story is about the indignance of the all-day workers. Hey, how come they got paid the same as we did? That's not right. In a double-edged parable, the emphasis is always on the second part of the story. Jesus is telling the religious leaders, he's saying, hey, are you jealous that I am gracious to sinners? Are you displeased because I'm establishing a new uh, system based on grace rather than strictly reaping what we sow? I'm gracious to people who are lost and don't know the Father. Are you opposing what I'm doing? The Apostle Paul says to uh, Titus, he's describing Christians, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, hating one another. And I want to add to the list, lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, racist, Jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, spend too much, drink too much, medicate too much, worry too much, smoke too much, who gather together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light. That is what we call the church. Did I miss anybody? If you're watching today and you thought you would be watching with holy people, I've just burst your bubble. The church is made up of sinners who need God's grace. We need God's grace, and now He calls on us to show grace to other people. It's unfortunate that those longest with Jesus often misunderstand what He's doing in the world. The Lord is seeking the lost until the eleventh hour. Not only do many of us not seem to care about people outside the church, but we seem to want to go back to a system of merit. 
rather than being gracious to, toward people who make mistakes, we appear all too ready to condemn them and close the doors of the church to them. Often we think about people who have messed up. They're just reaping what they sowed. Jesus says, I'm seeking lost and hurting people until the 11th hour, and so should you. Jesus says to us in this parable, I've not dealt with you on the basis of merit, but on the basis of grace. And I want you to treat other people the same way. You'll meet all kinds of people who've made foolish choices and are facing terrible consequences. You'll find people who have ruined their lives through alcohol and drugs and sex. You'll meet people who have done stupid things with their money and they're facing financial disaster. These people are already enduring the devastating consequences of their choices. And Jesus says, I don't want you to condemn them, but be gracious towards them and love them as I've been gracious with you. God gives us better than we deserve. God is gracious with us, so he wants us to be gracious with the people in our families, our homes, our schools, our places of work, our neighborhoods, and our church. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are gracious with us. You do not deal with us on the basis of merit, but you are forgiving and kind and loving. And you give us second, third, many chances. We thank you so much. If you've never invited Christ into your life, I want you to do that right now. Wherever you're sitting or laying as you watch this, just say, Jesus, I believe in you, that you're the Son of God. You died on the cross. You were raised from the dead. And I want you to forgive me my sins and come into my life right now. If you've already committed your life to Christ, why don't you thank Him that He's gracious with you? He do, you don't just reap what you sow. He gives you far better than you deserve. Thank Him for His grace in your life. Maybe tell Him some of the things. You pray right now. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.